Good morning, Calvary Slow. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, we're going to come now to a time of worship. Um, so let's just prepare our hearts as we come before God and worship him.
So we are in Psalm 42, is where we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, this is really an amazing psalm. I feel like I've been saying that about majority of these psalms, but this one is really just an outstanding psalm. What I want to do as we jump into this, I want to read the psalm. Before we read it, I'm just going to give the title for it. I think the title is kind of helpful because it gives us a little bit of a preview as to what the psalm and what we can expect, hopefully, from the study of God's Word, and in particular, this psalm. Uh, the title is is praying through depression, praying through depression. I think that's something that many of us have felt and gone through. And the bigger question is, how do we find ourselves in the midst of that, moving towards a place of emotional, mental wholeness? And so this psalm is really fantastic when it comes to actually prescribing some unique ways of being able to think about our condition, but then to move from certain areas where that might be being affected or affecting our condition into a place of um, wholeness. So that being said, what I want to do right now is I want to read the Psalm, Psalm 42, verse 1. I'll read to the very end. In fact, before I even jump in, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are actually, according to um, most Bible teachers and scholars and ancient tradition, are one unique Psalm, though for the sake of our reading here today, I'm just going to read Psalm 42, even though the two of them basically do go hand in hand and uh, are tied together by one consistent refrain, which we'll get to in just a moment. So just go ahead and listen to Psalm 42, verse 1, as I begin to read this. It's one that many might be familiar with. Verse 1. As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them into the procession of the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I will yet praise him again, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And by night, his song is with me. A prayer to my God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of God. This psalm, I think is so rich with um, what we've been thinking about is vocabulary that enables us to deal with real life challenges and hardships. Um, he talks on two different occasions in this particular Psalm. Uh, if you include Psalm 43, a third time, again, it's that refrain, verse five, verse 11, and then Psalm 43, verse five is the same refrain. I'll just read it again just so it's in, fresh in your mind. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my God and my salvation. Um, this psalm shows, I think, what it looks like for the psalmist 
who for whatever reason, which we'll get into in just a moment, he's dealing with a deep degree of despondency, of despair, or what we would just simply describe as depression. And what I want to do this morning as we look at this psalm or our time together here, I want to just look at basically three specific things. One, we'll take a look at the reality of depression. That's not something that's simply concocted or made up. It's real. Secondly, take a look at the reasons for depression. And we'll just look at a handful of the ones that the psalmist identifies. And then finally, we'll just simply take a look at the hope that ultimately I think can be restored that we actually find within the psalm itself. So let's jump right in and take a look at this. Number one, the reality of depression. I think, first of all, it's just important to know it happens. It's real. It takes place. Um, I think it's important to say, especially within some circles of Christian um, communion uh, communities, uh, there can be occasions where it's denied. It's not identified. It's not seen. Or in some cases, depending upon where you come from, it can be minimized in a sense of just simply saying you are nothing more than a spiritual being, that the depression or the feeling that you are going through right now um, can just simply be prayed away by quoting a scripture, memorizing some part of the word of God, and all of a sudden, all that will go away. But the reality is, again, if you look at the psalmist right here, uh, he's dealing with something that is deeply disruptive to his soul, so much so that he actually uses the phrase um, that my my heart is uh, cast down. And the word that's basically used there in the Hebrew is a word that basically, in other other cases, appears um, in the English by being described or interpreted as being brought low or bowed down. Um, in the English, we might say deflated or full of despair or distress, or like I mentioned earlier, despondent, um, depressed. Depressed is the opposite of being um you know, built up or lift up or taking a deep breath. Depression is being breathed out, being bowed low the way the psalmist describes this. So the point of the matter is, um, the way that some writers have described this is that depression affects all people, not just spiritual, like small people, but spiritual giants. Like what we see in the scripture are people that are deeply committed to God, like the psalmist right here, uh, he's dealing with something that is causing his soul deep turmoil. So I think it's number one, it's really important to just identify. It's real. Now, there may be several factors that play into what is causing that, which hopefully we'll get into some of these, and it's not going to be exhaustive because we only have a small amount of time together. But the point of the matter is, it's not a figment of your imagination. It's real, and therefore, because it's real, because if it's a, because if it's a part of life and a part of walking with Jesus and trying to make sense of this life, um, I think it's really important just First of all, acknowledge it. It's not a stigma that needs to be denied. It's not something that you need to feel guilty or ashamed from as a result of. It's something that is there. It's a part of life. So number one, the reality of depression. Number two is I want to begin to take a look at how the psalmist unpacks some of the reasons for his depression. We'll take a look at a handful of them that are direct from the text, and then I'll give you one as a bonus thrown in. You're welcome for free. So number one, uh, I think the psalmist identifies, first of all, what I'm just going to describe as disruption of life patterns. So take a look at verse two and verse four. Listen to what he says. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So he's thinking about something that has been transpiring within his life, and he's, he's wanting to come and appear before God. Something has disrupted his life. Later on down in verse four, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go to the throng and lead them in procession in the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude that had kept festival? 
And so what I think is happening right here is he's thinking back that something has happened in his life that has disrupted or disoriented the patterns of his life, the patterns of worship, the patterns of gathering together with other people. We don't know exactly the extent of the details as to what's going on, but whatever it is, he's reminiscing and thinking back in his mind as to what may have actually transpired or happened. And it's causing him to be deflated, depressed, and in moments of despair. Um, one other element I think that kind of plays into this, uh, the way some scholars would identify this is that, uh, again, we don't know exactly the extent of what's happening in terms of the backstory of the psalmist. Um, this was actually the beginning of the second book of the Psalms. So we kind of read through Psalm uh, 1 through Psalm 41, and those were typically identified as psalms that were written by David. Um, now we've kind of moved into the second book of Psalms, which are written by different people. So some have suggested that maybe what's going on is either the psalmist is writing from a perspective of exile or imagining what it would be like to be in exile. Regardless, the point of the matter is something has happened in his life where he's not in the normal rhythms of his life. Have you been through circumstances like that? Of course, we all have. That's exactly what COVID-19 has created for us, is a complete disruption of our lives. The patterns, the habits, whether it be school or work, maybe some of you have lost a job. I'm sorry to hear that. Maybe some of you have found yourselves in moments of, of deep depression as a result of that. The reports that I've been reading is that suicide rates are up higher than they've ever been before. Uh, depression rates are higher than they've ever been before. And the fact of the matter is that people all around the world are feeling the effects. Why? What's happened? Well, I think, first of all, one of the most important things, I think, to identify, and I think it's important to state this as well, uh, the, the causes of depression are numerous. And again, I realize as I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, so therefore I can't speak clinically to this. But the point that I would make is this, is that as a human being, we are far more than just chemistry or biology. We are also spirit and we're emotional, meaning we react and respond to all sorts of circumstances and life situations that happen to us. And so therefore, from a non Christian perspective, or one that just simply sees us maybe more as biology or chemistry, uh, the solution would be to just simply fix everything maybe with some degree of a chemical, which again, in some cases is perfectly fine and normal. And if that's you, that's something that's important. That's a gift from God that's helping you. For others, for most of us, it's far more complex. I mean, the reality is, is that as being multi-layered human beings, there are multiple elements that can complain to this. So I think it's worthwhile just noting that and stating that. No one needs to feel ashamed because if you've been a part of a church community that has shamed you, maybe for taking medication because of that, then that's unfortunate. I apologize to you. I wish that had not happened to you. But the point that I want to make is this, as we begin to look at some of these causes of this, there are certain elements and certain triggers that take place in our life. And in the case of the psalmist, um, what some scholars would identify or describe, he's in a state of exile, meaning he's not at home. What is home? Home is a place where we find comfort. Home is a place where we feel safe. Home can oftentimes be the rhythms or a relationship or some degree of uh, connectivity with other people. But when that gets disruptive, if you have to move suddenly for a particular reason or something takes place in your life that's causing deep chaos in your moment, uh, that can cause deep agitation to your soul. And in the case of the psalmist, I think that's one of the reasons for his depression. Um, one other element to this, kind of a nuance to this, is he's feeling the ache of what I would just describe as his perception of the absence of God. 
as the absence of God. He is longing for God. He describes, he opens it up by saying, as a deer pants, longs for a water brook, so my soul longs for you. But he's also being reminded of the fact that, that not only is God sort of the source of his ache, meaning that the longing for God, um, but it's also kind of the, the, God is also the solution for his ache because he recognizes he's longing for God, even though he does not feel in this moment God's presence. And maybe you've been in that place of your life. Maybe you're there right now. You feel God is absent. You go to pray, you go to sing, you go to read scripture, and you feel God is very far from you. Um, that is a common experience in people that have followed God, followed Jesus throughout the very beginning. Uh, the question is, how do you respond to those moments? And this is exactly what we see taking place and taking shape within this psalmist. So the first thing that we see is disruption of life pattern. Second thing I see is physical. Listen to how he describes this. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? So what's he saying? My food uh, have been tears. Uh, what's he suggesting? This is a poetic way of basically saying I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I'm not drinking. I'm just crying. Um, one thing we do know is that disruption of sleeping patterns actually causes one to become deeply irritable, meaning you're not getting the rest. Your body's not getting the rest that it needs. Um, I always tell people that I'm doing discipleship with that one of the most spiritual things you could ever do in your walk with Jesus is take, take naps, like take breaks, take rests, find places and moments throughout the day or throughout the week or throughout the month where you can just pause and unplug, turn off your cell phone, turn off social media, and just think about, consider, meditate on who God is and his greatness and his goodness. So secondly, we see, I think, physical element was a play into his uh, moment of distress and or depression. Thirdly is the other reason I think is social. Listen how he describes this in verses 3 and then verse 10. Verse 3 says this, they say to me all day long, where's your God? So he's imagining who's the they, we don't really know. We have no clue as to who he's talking about or referring to, but whoever they are, they're taunting him. He gets a little bit more explicit in verse 10. Listen to what he says. My adversaries, they taunt me. So whoever the they are, he identifies them as my adversaries, my enemies, people that obviously have something out against me. But they're not just his people on the periphery. They're taunting him. And he gets specific about what they're taunting him, saying. They're saying, where's your God? You claim to follow God. You claim to be a, a devoted loyal, loyalist to God. Where's God? You're feeling the ache of his absence, you're feeling the disruption of being in exile, of your patterns being completely appended. Uh, where's God? Where's God in all of this? And that's, this is a reality that oftentimes many of us have to navigate. So if you've ever been through a moment like this, in terms of any of these reasons, disruption of life patterns, physical, you're not sleeping, maybe you're sick, maybe you've been diagnosed with something as a result, you feel this deep ache. I've gone through moments like that in my own life when I have faced some physical maladies that I've had this moment of like, oh my gosh, like deep, deep anxiety and depression of just, God, where are you? Would you show up? God, would you make yourself known? This is exactly the language that the psalmist is brokering in and moving in and thinking about. And then thirdly, the idea of social. 
Uh, one final one, which is not necessarily part of the psalm itself, uh, is also identified, uh, like Psalm 32. You can reference that if you'd like on your own time. This is a psalm with David. Um, David writes and he describes some conditions that sounds like he's dealing with some degree of depression himself. And in the context of that psalm, uh, what David's dealing with in that setting is guilt and shame. Uh, his sin has been covered. And so rather than confessing it, and revealing it to God and uh, walking in repentance, he's trying to hide it and cover it. And as a result of that, it's like this, this ache in his soul. And maybe for some, that's what is the source. So again, um, I think it's really important just to reiterate, the cause of depression is very nuanced and very large and very broad. And there are different shades and different uh, realms, I think, of depression to just simply create kind of a binary that's this or that. Um, I think it's too simplistic. Um, but this hopefully gives you some degree of understanding, at least in the case of the psalmist, what he was dealing with, and maybe it resonates with some of you. So number one, again, I want to take a look at the reality. We looked at the reality of depression. Secondly, we took a look at the reasons for depression. And then finally, what I want to look at is the hope that can ultimately be offered to us um, in the midst of these dark seasons. So um, there's three things that the psalmist does that I think are really significant. And I'll just kind of go through them. We'll read through them one by one. I have a couple quotes that I think will be of encouragement to you. So number one, uh, he describes uh, in his actions as pouring out his heart before God. So number one, I would say the step that we have to arm ourselves with, equip ourselves with. Think of this as a tool that when you are in this state of being depressed, broken, in despair, crushed, at some point, we've got to do something with the disparity of our hearts. And what the psalmist does is he casts it out before God. Listen to what he says. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my heart before you. And this is an important element. Like, we got to do something with that pain. And grief ignored oftentimes leads to deep anger and frustration. But we got to do something with that grief. And oftentimes, again, our culture is filled with cheap remedies. Take this pill, drink this bottle of wine, binge watch this show, and somehow it will resolve the ache and the conflict in your soul. And it never really does. But what we see with the psalmist is he turns to God and he pours out his soul before God. The second thing is we see that the psalmist confronts himself. And this is where it gets really interesting. Uh, like a self-talk. He speaks to himself. So he confronts himself and reorients his hopes. So the second thing you need to do. Number one is pour out your soul before God. Number two, confront yourself. I'll explain that. And then reorient your hopes. Listen to how the psalmist does this. So he does this in Psalm 42, verse 5, and then verse 7, and then verse uh, 5 of chapter 43, like I said, which we're not going to necessarily get into. But listen to what he says. Um, he asks himself this question. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. He's just like straight up talking to himself. Now, what's fascinating about this is that the psalmist is talking to himself, not listening to himself. Most of us, the majority of energy that we give out is about listening to our heart rather than speaking to our heart. And I think a lot of times we get ourselves in trouble just simply listening to what our heart is saying. Because the fact of the matter is our heart is not always giving us good information. It's giving us emotional information that does not necessarily align with truth or the way that things truly are. 
And what the psalmist is doing is like, no matter what my heart's feeling, heart, I'm going to talk to you, and you're going to listen to me, and I'm not going to listen to you. It's kind of a unique way of thinking about what it looks like to pray. But listen to how he, how he does this. He goes on, and really what he's doing is he's reordering or reorienting his hopes and his desires. Our problem oftentimes in the midst of deep suffering is that we anchor our hopes in something other than God. And as a result of that, when that thing breaks or becomes fragile or begins to shake or we lose it or it's threatened about being lost, then we go into panic mode. What the psalmist is doing is I, I got to talk to myself. I got to ask myself, why are you so cast down? What's going on? Why are you so filled with anxiety? What's causing you to feel this shake within your soul? And then he's telling himself, trust in God. Uh, one, of my famous, one of my favorite preachers was this uh, guy who's a famous preacher by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he wrote an entire uh, series of teachings on what's called spiritual depression. Um, you can check out the book on Amazon. It's highly worth reading. Um, in fact, as a, this is kind of fun fact, the very first book I ever read as a follower of Jesus, I was like 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, was actually a book by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on Psalm 73. And I'll never forget that because it so impacted me. And from there, I became a fanboy of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones the rest of my life. So I want to read you a little quote from his book on spiritual, uh, called Spiritual Depression on this particular psalm. Listen to what he says. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are there talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday and etc. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment, Psalm 42, was this, instead of allowing himself to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. And he says, why are you cast down, oh my soul? He asked, his soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, listen for this moment. I will now speak to you. That's our approach that we have to take of asking ourselves, becoming good at asking ourselves. It's a practice. It's like a muscle that needs to be exercised. And when it's not exercised, we end up becoming really skilled at our default mode, which is simply listening to our own heart, which actually the scripture teaches is deceitful in very specific ways, wicked and desiring things that are not in alignment with the heart of God. So what the psalmist does is he speaks to himself and he reorients his hopes. And so why he says, hope in God. And this leads me to my last point. The third thing. So number one, pour out your soul to God. Number two, confront yourself and reorient your hopes. Number three, comfort yourselves with God. Verse six is my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. What he does is he calls to memory God, not some abstract relationship he had with God, not some past experience he had with God, though he does want to remember those experiences again. But what he recognizes is not just for nostalgia's sake. This is about sinking his spiritual teeth into some degree of substance, which is not just an experience, but is God himself. And this is the important element of what the entire Bible is all about. It's about this relationship that God invites us in to be a part with him. It involves trust. It involves being able to say, I can 
confidently cast my cares upon him. I can confidently reorient my hopes so that God is central in all these things. I can confidently place my, my hope in this God because he is trustworthy. And that raises the question, how do we even know that he's trustworthy? And this is where we come back to the, really the storyline of the entire Bible, is this picture of a God that in spite of how broken humanity is and how much we've sought to emancipate ourselves from this God, we have a God that is consistently going after us. And it's not until we get to, say, for example, Jesus on the cross. Jesus, while dying, one of the words that is recorded for us that he says is the little phrase, I thirst. Just like the psalmist. I'm thirsty for God. Jesus on the cross is hungering, thirsting for God. Jesus, whatever is happening in that moment, Jesus is feeling the ache of what can be identified perhaps as the absence of God. Jesus on the cross is taking it upon himself the deep brokenness, the deep effects and consequences of sin upon himself. And it's creating this deep separation of what he is discovering or feeling between him and God, and yet he's aching for God. And yet even in the midst of that ache, Jesus is still clinging to and trusting God. And what the New Testament is all filled with is this hope that Jesus does that for us because he loves us. So the psalmist ends with this comforting himself in God. And I want to read a closing quote from C.S. Lewis, and I'll finish with this. He says this, most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they, what they do want and what they want acutely, something that cannot be had ultimately in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep the promise. The longings which arise in us when we shall first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can ever really fully satisfy. I'm not speaking of what would be ordinarily described as an unsuccessful marriage or fail holidays or learned careers. I'm talking about the most possibly best ones. There was something we, we grasped for in that first moment of longing, which just faded away in the reality. I think everyone knows exactly what I mean. The wife may be a good wife. The hotels, the scenery may be excellent. The chemistry career might be an interesting job. But something has evaded us, which can only be found in God alone. And this is what the psalmist does by pressing into God. He gives us this vocabulary, this language so that when we are in moments or states of our own places of despair, again, whatever degree that might be, or we might know some people that are in those moments or places, that my hope would be that the language of the psalmist would be able to equip you with great information and helpful tools to pray through those moments of pain and agony and despair into a place of hope again. So, As you go into this week, no matter where you're at, turn your heart to God and maybe ask God how he not only wants to restore and renew you, but also use you as a, as a tool to help other people, to bring forth hope and life and reorienting of other people's hopes towards him in the week to come. God bless you guys. May the grace, mercy, and peace of the triune God be yours.
God, we thank you for your amazing grace. God, we thank you how you have sustained us, Lord, and kept us um, through the years, Lord, through these times. God, we know that you will continue to keep us safe in your arms and under your wings, God, for you are good. Um, Lord, and we love you. And uh, God, we just give this day to you. In your name we pray. Amen.